And Colette is going to read the scripture for today. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you res- <laughs> and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though half some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Very good. Hey, thank you, Colette. I always like listening to Colette read. One of these days as she gets older, she's going to be one of those people when you go to the Bible app and you hit play, it'll be her voice that'll be doing the reading. Okay, so today... Um, I told Rachel, I said, hey, you know, this is your time, Camp Redstone. She said, well, great, we're going to memorize a verse. And then I sent out the passage for today, and lo and behold, they were the same. And we were excited just to see the Lord working uh, behind the scenes as well. So here's the word of God. You've heard it, and we're going to walk through it again. You've got it in your worship guide. Um, But let's just make sure that we're kind of stopping, hitting pause. Let's go to the Lord, and let's ask him to make this word come alive to us this morning. So let's pray one more time. Uh, Father... We've received your word. Uh, This is an important word in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Paul says it's of first importance, these things that Colette uh, just read. Lord, so I pray as we're stepping into this time of worship by reading and, and through preaching and teaching that you would remove from our hearts and our minds obstacles regarding work and lunch and family and conflict and tiredness, um, kids, um, any of those things, and help us to hear from you this morning. And as always, Lord, I pray that just any word that I speak that's of the flesh, it would fall to the ground, and we would only keep and hide in our hearts those things that are from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so today's going to feel a little bit different. So if you're a, a, you know, a regular Redstone attender, we've been going through the book of Philippians and we hit it pretty hard. And there were was, there was some like deep, hard passages that we worked through and it was great, you know, but we talked about conflict, you know, we talked about, you know, giving, we talked about, you know, pressing on, but today's not going to feel like that. So just so you know, it's going to feel less preachy and more of a true introduction into the next worship series. Okay, so if you'll notice, we actually have a table on our logo, just in case you've you've never noticed. Now, this series that we're going to go through, we're actually calling the table, okay? And it is going to be a topical series, um, which I personally don't always love. I would rather for us to just take a book and work through it verse by verse, but that's not going to be this. So if you understand what we're trying to do, we're looking at the table, and all, again, all this is going to make sense as we walk through the table and the legs, but we're trying to take the table and we're trying to present it in a way that it can be a discipleship tool, which is what uh, Becca just was saying a moment ago. How can we use this tool to disciple other people? So before you can understand the table, we have to understand this. And there's a, a sheet in your worship guide this morning, and I normally have a place for you to fill in all kinds of blanks. Not so today. Today I've got five blanks for you. It's real simple. But if you'll notice on the top of the table is the gospel itself. Okay, so it's just gospel. So we can't understand the rest of the table unless we understand the gospel. Okay, now back in January through like the beginning of March, we went through a series, and I'm going to turn this on because someone's going to volunteer, and it was called Gospel 101. You remember it? Please tell me you remember it. Okay, so Gospel 101, we took each letter of the gospel 
and we broke it down in a way that we could help understand the gospel, okay? So I wonder, is there anyone here this morning that is bold enough to get the microphone in their hand and to attempt to explain each of the letters of the gospel? I know, daunting, I need an adult, okay? So Becky's like, I will do it. She always raises her hand, okay? Anyone? Come on. Are you serious? Who's doing it? Is it sunshine? Okay, here we go. You want to do it up here? Okay, so this is sunshine. And um, sunshine, well, it took new, um, new meaning in your life. Yeah. Okay, so this is sunshine. So walk us through, and you've got G-O-S-P-E-L. Explain to them the best you can. And even if you mess up, no one's going to care because I'll, I'll walk around it. Okay, so get the microphone close to your mouth, okay. and then walk us through the gospel. Okay. Um, so, okay. I didn't think I was going to be this nervous, like, standing in front of everybody. <laughs> Just pretend that they're not, yeah. No, it's fine. Um, so, the gospel is uh, God who is almighty. There's your opposition. Is it opposition of sin or? The, the obstacle. Obstacle of sin. So O is the obstacle I know of sin. Not, yeah. Um, obstacle of sin. And then uh, you have your Savior mm-hmm. who was sacrificed, your propitiation, which meant that like all of your sins were forgiven because of um, Jesus who has died on a cross. So and P was for pr- propitiation. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you said You're good. Yeah, okay. I'm just then, making sure um, everybody's hearing it. Yeah. And then um, you have eternal life, which is kind of like why he did that. That was to like mend the relationship between us and God. And he did um, all of that. And the L L was was for love. Yes, for the love of God. Okay, that's great. Hey, I wouldn't have done that. Very good. Okay, you're good. Thank you. Okay, good job, Sunshine. So we did this series, and we did this in a way, we were telling people that were unbelievers, you know, you're good. So like Sunshine was one of those. So Sunshine came in and at the time was an actual unbeliever. And, we, and you could just see the Lord working in her life. We're like, just keep on coming, just keep on coming, because by the end of this, you're going to hear the gospel, okay? So the gospel was, again, you can't understand the gospel, which means What? Good news. You can't understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. And you can't even understand the bad news unless you start with God. So that's why we started there. We said it starts with God. In the beginning, God, he is perfect and righteous and holy. He's not like us. We can't just come into his presence because we are an unrighteous people, which takes us to, oh, because of Adam and Eve, they sinned, they, they rebelled against God. And there was this obstacle of sin that caused this chasm where unholy people cannot come before holy God. And that was a problem, okay? But then we looked at S. And Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. God's plan all along was to send his son to us so that he would save us. He is our savior. So what's he saving us from? He's saving us from our sin because we have this obstacle of sin. And the way that he did that, and this was just the best word we could find in scripture, and it was a hard word, but we worked through it carefully, was he became the propitiation. He became the one who took on, as, as holy God, all of our sins upon himself. He paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins, if you would just believe in him. And he did it in such a way that it was so perfect, it was a once and for all sacrifice, that if you would believe in that, unholy people could then, because this veil was torn, they could come before holy, holy God. And that's magical, And in doing so, like one of the benefits is in that moment, at that time, we now possess eternal life. And that's what we're going to look at when we jump into the scripture today. And why did he do that? Well, he did it because for God so loved the world. Because he loved me and he gave himself for me, Galatians 2 says. It was powerful. And just to see the gospel come alive... We use that as a tool, okay? And we're going to do the same thing in other ways, like the Redstone Church, which you'll see in a moment. So we went through Gospel uh, 101, and we, we t- you know, took a look at, at the Gospel itself. And now we're going to go and we're going to look at this table, and we're going to see if we can understand 
um, what the legs of the table are and how they point back to the gospel. Okay, so if you look at Romans, if you look at Ephesians, if you look at Colossians, you're going to see at the first part of these, cha- of, of these books, there's this just diving into, this is what the gospel is. And then once the, you know, the, the author explains the gospel, he spends the rest of the time in the book teaching you how to live out the gospel. Okay, there was this book a long time ago, and I think I've referenced it before. It's by Watchman Nee, and it's called Sit, Walk, and Stand. And in Ephesians 1, which is what the commentary was of, he says we, we are seated in Christ. Because of the gospel and what he's done, we don't have to do anything but believe. So we're seated in Christ. But now we need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and we need to stand against the enemy's schemes. So it begins with this is who you are in Christ. Now this is how you walk with Christ and beware because the enemy hates you and he's going to come against you. This is how you take a stand in the gospel. But you see that in a lot of the books. So what we're trying to do is in utilizing the table, we're trying to go back and look at the gospel, but then we're going to spend the next 12 weeks after today giving you some practical applications of this is how you take this gospel and you live it out. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to go back through the passage. Now, before we go back through the passage, you have to understand 1 Corinthians 15 is written as an apologetic, okay? It's a defense. If you, if you were to like, you know, open up your Bibles and just read that whole chapter, which we're not going to, you will see that Paul is going out of his way in this chapter to say, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead... If he wasn't really dead, and if he did not really resurrect from the dead, then you also are going to be dead in your sins. This is what it says. This is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 16 and following. It says, For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And it says this, listen to this, verse number 19. It says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. We're just pitied because all we have is hope for this life, but not beyond that. But then at the beginning of the very next verse, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and that makes all the difference. Okay, so backing up to to this particular passage, Let's go back and let's look at it again. So get your Bibles, get your worship guides, get your pencils, and let's look through a couple of things that you're going to see in this passage, okay? He's showing us Christ really did die. He really was buried, and he really was raised. Verse number one, he says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Okay, and I'm going to hit pause as we work our way through this. We just said it a moment ago. The gospel is good news. Okay, so when you hear that, it's just one of these terms that's thrown out there. And even a couple of weeks ago, I asked someone, I said, so do you understand what gospel means? And his response was, no, I really don't. It's good news. It's a gift. So uh, it's the good news of what Christ has done for us. And he says, I preach to you which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved. We are saved, we are being saved, and we're going to be eternally saved one day when Jesus comes back um, for us. Okay, so he says, you're being saved. And then he says this phrase, he says, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now that trips some people up. Our whole previous book that we went through in Philippians was talking about the fact that believers are people that don't just believe, put it in their pocket and say, okay, I believe. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he was the son of God. Okay, that's good. And then they put that in their pocket and say, so that's kind of all I need to do to go to heaven? God forbid. If you really understand the implications of that, you will get up off of the throne, you will put Jesus on the throne, and you will follow him the rest of your life. And no matter what obstacles come your way, um, you will persevere, you will press on. And that's what he's saying here. He says, you know, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you just believed in vain. Because we see instance after instance after instance where people in the moment say, oh yeah, I believe that. I believe. And then you look at their life down the road, 10 years, 15 years down the road, and you see no fruit. They're not following Jesus. Jesus is not on the throne of their life. 
they, they confessed something in the moment, but it not, did not impact the way that they lived. And therefore, I think scripture would say that they're really not Jesus' followers. Okay, so that's what we're seeing in this passage. Okay, let's keep on going. Verse number three, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Okay, so the first thing that you need to understand about the gospel or the first things that you need to understand, that's what he's going to walk through right here. He says, what I received, and then he says, number one, or A, that Christ died for sins according to the scripture, okay? And then the second one, he says that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and then it says that he appeared, and it goes through this progression of the different people that he revealed himself to. And for the sake of time, we're not going to walk through that and talk through that. But he made sure that everyone knew, I died, I was buried, I was raised, and I, he went out of his way to let everyone know, I am no longer dead, I am a risen Savior. And what Paul's saying is, that is of first importance. Nothing else that we can teach or will teach in the church will have any significance if our Savior remained in the grave. And every other religion who has an entity that they serve, a great prophet or a great teacher, at some point in time in their life, their heart did quit beating and they died and they went into a grave and that's where they remain. Only Jesus... He's the only one who could. He's, he's the only one who was able to be raised from the dead. He was sinless. He was perfect, and he was powerful. And we sang about it earlier in our second song. It says, because of that, there's no fear in death anymore. So 1 Corinthians 15 is an apologetic. It's saying the resurrection changes everything. Because if the resurrection is not true, I'm wasting my time. And all that I'm doing is just trying to teach you how to be a moral person and to live a healthy life in this world only. And if that's all I'm trying to do, yeah, we should be pitied. Because there's no power in that. That's just me pulling myself up by my bootstraps, and that is nothing more than morality. Okay, so... Gospel 101 reminds us that we start with God, and the Corinthians understood that. But then he's, he's going on, he's saying, Christ really did die, just as the scripture said so. Christ really was buried, and he really did raise back to life, just as the scripture said that he would. He was seen by many, and it says this over and over, it says, according to the scripture. So this was not an afterthought. You know, he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And, you know, you, you've, you've heard this passage, you know, Jesus says, you study the scriptures because in doing so, you think that you possess eternal life. He says, but these are the scriptures that speak of me. Okay, like we're getting ready to have, you know, one of our couples is going to be married in a couple of weeks. And that's, that's exciting. It's great. But the whole purpose of marriage is to point us to the love that God has for us. It's not a separate thing. All of the sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament were to show us that there needed to be a sacrifice to cover sins because otherwise we would be separated from God. Everything that you see, whether it be the kings or whether it be the prophets or whether it be the judges, every one of those roads point to Jesus. Okay? Do you, you see that? So it's all about Jesus. So we understand that when it says according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures is because everything in the scriptures were pointing to this one moment in time that the judge, you know, the ultimate sacrifice, you know, the prophet, the king, the son of God, that they said his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, that God himself would visit unholy man and that he would give himself up for us, and that he would die on a cross, but then he would raise to new life, and because of that, we would have hope. And Paul's saying, that's of first importance. you got to get that, and you have to understand that, and you have to cling to that before anything else that I teach you is going to make sense. And I'm saying the same thing as pastor. Unless you understand the gospel, and unless we're taking these legs and we're pointing them back to the gospel, 
we're kind of wasting our time, and I'm just trying to teach you how to be good people, and that's not enough, okay? So a couple of quick takeaways, and then we're going to move on. First off, he says, I remind you. So my first takeaway is that we all need gospel reminders. This book was written to the church at Corinth, and in a lot of ways, they were a mess, and, and, and I'd love to kind of just preach through and teach through 1 Corinthians sometime, but they, they had a lot going on, but they, they were made up of believers. This church was made up of believers, and he's reminding believers of the gospel, so the gospel is not only for unbelievers, it is for believers as well. Second takeaway, saving uh, faith continues to hold fast to the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, but that believing is a continuous belief. And then everything that Paul will say later and everything moving forward is grounded in these, these, these basic foundational truths. Jesus was the Son of God. He did die. He was buried. He came back to life. He revealed himself to people then, and he reveals himself to people now. The gospel changes everything. Chapter 3, Paul says it this way. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the top of the table. The gospel is the top of the table. So look at your worship guide, if you've got your worship guide. Okay, everybody pull it out, just look at it. And on the bottom of, I think it's the second page, it walks you through Red Stone Church. Do you see that? So we have a table strategically on our logo. And our name, Redstone Church, is doing a lot of what Paul is talking about here. We're trying to be strategic. Even the worship guide itself, if you know, if you'll look at it, we start and there's this place up there at the top that says, Worship, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, receive the word, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We even have like our whole service is broken down in such a way that we're trying to follow the Lord's prayer. And the idea behind that is that Sunday mornings would not just be a time that we come and do whatever we want, but we're trying to make it a prayer back to God. So it's worshipful, and we're stopping, and we're receiving the Word of God. And then after we receive the Word of God, we're taking time to, you know, to, to confess our sins in our own heart and encourage one another, and then we go back out into the world. So we're trying to be strategic with some of the things that we do, but it's also in our name. Look at it, Red Stone Church. So when you see Redstone Church and someone like this morning at, uh, where's Maddie, at what time, 7.15 a.m., you know, whatever time it was, you know where I was, where was I? I was at Starbucks, right, so we, you, we pass each other sometimes, and I had a great conversation with the lady at the window, and she says, so hey, what are you doing today? I said, I'm going to church, and she says, really, where do you go to church? And I said, Redstone Church, and sometimes when, people, when I say that, people say, Redstone Church, why do they call it Redstone Church? Thank you. It's an open door, and I can begin to tell them the gospel. This, this lady was like, oh, Redstone Church, well, you know the Fosters, and da-da-da-da-da, and she was already a believer. I was like, dang it, you know? <laughs> no, that was a great thing. I'm just kidding. It, it, was, it was a good thing, right? But she was already a believer, and we had this wonderful conversation. So I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is, as a part of Redstone Church, there's not like Redstone Avenue, or this is not the community of red stone. It was very strategic. It was very elementary in the very early days of the formation of this church. What are we going to call it? Why don't we call it red? Because red stands for the blood of Christ. So when someone says, why do they call it Redstone Church? Well, red actually, and you can jump into everything I just said, we're separated from God. We believe that there's one God, and we believe that he loved us, and he came yeah, for us because there was this obstacle of sin that had separated us from him so he came and he actually died and he became the perfect sacrifice so red is actually for the blood of Jesus oh okay so then what's stone for well here's the thing Jesus died and was buried but he actually raised from the dead so we actually have stone as the middle part of our name because it shows that he's an actual risen savior you know, he rose from the dead, and in doing so, he conquered death. 
He conquered sin and he conquered the devil. And if I'll believe in him, I don't have to fear death anymore. And I don't have to fear the punishment of my sins, you know, anymore. So he's a risen savior and he sent his Holy Spirit to us after he ascended. And and he can teach us and he can guide us and he can correct us and he can counsel us and he can comfort us from now on. So yeah, stone shows that he actually rose from the dead. Okay, and church, well... In the same way that Jesus revealed himself to people after he raised from the dead, he made sure everybody knew that he was dead and now he's alive. Well, in the same way, um, he does that with us today. So the church is the assembly of people that are followers of Jesus. So Redstone Church, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus and my church is made up of people that follow Jesus. And one of the basic things that we teach is Jesus is the son of God and he died because he loves us. And he paid the perfect sacrifice And when he did, he rose from the dead. And if we would believe in him and if we would follow him, we could be a part of his church because it was for his church that he actually gave himself. Oh, well, it probably wouldn't sound like that at the drive-thru at Starbucks. But you get what I'm saying? What we're trying to do is baby steps. We're just trying to equip you and say, here's an easy way that you can share your faith with people. It doesn't have to be complicated. You can talk about what the Lord did in your life. But Psalm 107.2 says this. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We got to be willing to use our mouths. We've got the greatest story that's ever been told. Jesus really died. He really was God in the flesh. He was dead, dead. And he's alive, alive. That was weird to say. That wasn't in my notes. Okay? It's true. And because of that, we've got a story. And he's saying, let people know. This is of first importance. And then once we understand these these principles of first importance, then we can go on to talk about, well, how does that impact what I do with my money? How does that impact my marriage? How does that impact conflict? How does that impact how I work? How does that impact, and you see this all throughout 1 Corinthians, my sexual choices. You know, how does it impact everything? And Paul's saying, this is of first importance, but you can't understand how to apply it unless you start with the fact that he's no longer dead and he is risen. And because he is risen, you will rise as well. And because he is risen... He comes to live within you and he gives you the power and and the focus to be able to change the way that you live your life. Okay, which takes us to the table again. So Luke Smythe and I think Jesse may have helped. They created our little graphic. So you've got gospel on the top, right? And now we're going to go through and we're going to walk through each part of the table. But I'm curious, this is not a microphone one, so this is not like I'm not saying a word because he's going to get the microphone in my hand. But when you see table, just what do you think of? What, do you th- what comes to your mind when you see a table? Somebody tell me. Food, okay. Food, what else? Gathering place? What, 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 we're here in the middle somewhere. What? I didn't hear you. What, what is sunshine? Bananas. Okay, very good. What else? Chicken. Forget food items. What else comes to your to family? Okay. Food, drink, fellowship, people's homes. Okay. If we think like through theological, you know, terms, think about the what was the last thing Jesus did before he gave up his life? Do you remember? He had a meal. He invited everybody in to the, you know, the upper room and they actually broke bread and, and they drank wine and he said, this is my body and this is my blood. It was prophetic, but it happened around a table. You know, we were a church that had communion every Sunday. Thank you, COVID, you know, and, and we were doing that because doing communion every Sunday, we don't think is required by scripture, but it reminds us of the truths of the gospel. I step into a Sunday morning sometimes feeling like, golly, I blew it this week. And then I come into church and I'm reminded of the gospel 
and then we're able to go and we're able to take communion and I'm able to apply the truth of the gospel saying, what am I doing? I don't have to cover all of my sins myself. Either what Jesus did was enough or it's not. Either I'm trying to save myself or Jesus is saving me. I'm choosing to believe the gospel. That's why we take communion. So when you think about communion, you think about, you know, the table or the table you think about communion. And then there's this other passage, it's in Revelations 19, and it talks about one of these days when Jesus comes back for his church, there's just going to be this grand banquet and this celebration. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so we are going to be a part of a true feast. Conversation, you know, I've been using the table, some of us have been using the table, just going into different places in the community just to sit across from somebody at a table, to have food or drink, just to get to know them and establish a relationship with them. And, and you know my passage, Colossians 4.2, remain steadfast in prayer and watchful in it with thanksgiving. So be willing to remain prayerful, but step into conversations and see if the Lord doesn't open up the door for a conversation with you that you can tell them why you have hope. Why are you a Christian? those kinds of things. And if you'll just be present and be willing, kind of like what we talked about with Redstone Help, you know, just be willing. If you'll do that, the Lord will open up a door, but then you got to step through it. And I've been doing this for the past five years, and it's completely changed the way I do ministry, you know, 100%. But I think about that when I think about table, okay? So at the end of the day, you know, whatever we're going to talk about, it has to go back to the gospel that is paramount. But the table itself, the illustration, gives us some great ways to work through the applications. Okay, here you go. Here's your fill in the blanks. So I would walk over there, but I don't want to get off screen. So the first one that we actually have is worship. The second one that we have is community. Then we go to service, and then we go to multiplication. You see that? So if you are a note taker, you can go fill out your table and you're going to spend 12 weeks working through these. We're going to spend three weeks on worship, three weeks on community, three weeks on service, and three weeks on multiplication. This is the table. It's not just a logo for logo's sake or a graphic for graphic's sake. It's intentional. It's like the worship guide. It's like Redstone Church. It's exactly what Paul is teaching us here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, there are matters of first importance and you need to understand what those are. And then as you understand them, how are we going to live them out? So I'm just going to briefly kind of walk through a couple of these with you and just explain where we're going. This is introduction. It's going to sound less preachy. You actually have an opportunity if you want to like raise your hand and ask questions, you can do so. Okay, so when we talk about worship, and I don't want to go there today because it's going to be for the next three weeks, but it's going to be things like this. Okay, when you think about worship, you normally think about what? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think worship? Singing, right? We think about Maddie and the worship team up here. So singing can be worship. What else do you think might be a part of worship? Prayer. Okay, what else? Giving, obedience. What else? Disciples. I just like any time a kid says something. It's great. Okay, what else? Friends? Worship. Come on, think worship. You're, you're hitting them, but you hit somebody said a prayer a moment ago. What else? Relationship, definitely. But what else? Prayer and the word of God. Okay? There's all of these different ways that we can worship God. And we're going to talk about them. It's not going to be an exhaustive list. It's going to be a broad overview. But again, hopefully we're going to continue to work through this and turn this into a tool so that when you're walking with another believer, there will be like a packet that you can go hit gospel and then you can walk them through worship. And then you can walk them through community. And then you can walk them through service. Then you can walk them through multiplication. And this is not step one, two, three, four. I tell people I love the table because to me, this is what Christianity looks like. It impacts every area of your life. Okay? I cannot wait for next week. I can't. We looked at the passage last Monday, and we just kind of fell in love with the passage. 
We're going to go dig into one of the Psalms, but we're going to talk about what worship looks like. So yes, if we are followers of Jesus, we have to be worshipers of Jesus. Otherwise, we're missing something. If you're saying, I believe the gospel, but I only go to church and I only give money or I only do these things because it's things that you're supposed to do and you check them off, then we're missing the point of the gospel. People who understand the gospel, people who understand what Jesus has done are people who follow Jesus. And people who follow Jesus spend time with Jesus. I don't read because I'm supposed to. I read because I am desperate for Jesus every single day, just like I am for oxygen. And that is true of me personally. It changed my life when I started reading the Word of God, not because I was supposed to, because I was desperate. I was a mess, and I needed to know Him and to know that He was real and to know that He would speak to me, and He met me right where I was, and it forever changed me. That's part of worship. And then I would begin to talk with him. And you want to do the same thing to learn how you can worship God by having a relationship with him and by praying to him. But it doesn't stop there. He's given you gifts. And you utilizing those gifts for his kingdom is one of the ways that you can worship him. You just being willing is one of the ways that you can worship him. And yeah, what you do with your money is one of the ways that you can show whether you're worshiping him or your time and we could go on and on. So next week, we're going to start with worship, okay? Then we're going to go into community. And you see it from the beginning you know, of, of time and Scripture that God is a God, listen to this, who has always existed in community. Do you see that? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and as three, they are one and they are God. God has always existed in community, and Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he prays for us that we, we would be one just as he is one. And that's why scripture says, and don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. And that's why uh, Paul, when he's sending a letter to the church at Corinth or Ephesus or at Philippi or Jesus, go look at Revelation, he's speaking to very specific congregations and assemblies of people is because when we are together in community, this is when our faith can be worked out. Listen, I, I'm just being honest. It's a cop-out to say I can follow Jesus and I can do it from home. I don't have to be a part of the church. Well, yeah, that's pretty easy. Yeah, marriage is hard. I'm telling you. Learning how to apply the gospel, forgive sins quickly, confess sin quickly, learn how to sacrifice on behalf of someone else and, and instead of yourself all the time, that's a struggle. It's not easy. It makes us depend upon Jesus. Okay? It's the same thing with raising kids. I mean, have you ever prayed for wisdom so much on your knees as you do as a parent saying, oh God, give me a wisdom. I have no clue what I'm doing, right? It's just true. You know, these things force us to better understand and apply gospel truths, okay? And that's what coming to church and being willing to be real with people will do. Because once you start spending time with them and you get a little bit bold, and you begin to confess your sins to one another that you might be healed, to carry one another's burdens, and in doing, you know, in doing so fulfill the law of Christ, that's dangerous because at some point in time, somebody in the church is going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt somebody. We saw it with, um, what, did, what did Frankie call them, Sally and Eunice? Yeah, Sally and Eunice a few weeks ago. There's going to be conflict. You know, and Paul says, agree with one another in the Lord. You must reconcile. And for you to do that, you're going to have to go back to the top of the table, which is the gospel, and learn what the gospel says about relationships. You know, when to bear with one another, when to overlook an offense. We, we spent a whole sermon talking about these things, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's what the gospel does. That's what these table legs are doing for us. Does that make sense? Are you following with me? So community, we're going to talk about community. And then we're going to talk about service. You know, if you, if you go to 
I'll never be able to read this passage again um, without thinking of, of you, Mitch. You know, I just won't. So in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this. You know, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay, that's my Mitch moment right there, which one of these days when he's baptized we'll talk about. But then let me keep on reading. It says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But here's the next passage. We don't read this one very often. It says, listen to this, church. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our service is a part of our believing the gospel. We, we can't say, I believe the gospel and not worship. We can't say, I believe the gospel, but you know what? People scare me, so I'm just going to kind of go alone on this. It's just me and you, Jesus. I got my Jesus calling book. I got my Bible. I got my coffee. I'm good. I don't need people. don't need church on Sundays, right? In the same way, we can't say, okay, I got my Bible. Yeah, I'm going, going through the whole list again, but you know, everybody else is serving. I'm not really good in serving. No, God, we are his workmanship. He has prepared things in advance for us to do. And Jesus says it. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So service is an indication that we are followers of Jesus. And then lastly, multiplication. The last thing Jesus says before he ascends into heaven Okay, so before, before he dies, the night beforehand, he puts, goes around a table and he points this picture of the blood and the body of Christ and says, I'm getting ready to give myself for you. And they're like, what? Wait, what? You know, I, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. You can't die for us. And you know, there, there's this whole exchange that takes place over those few days where he's trying hard to say, I'm getting ready to die. And you know, the apostles are like, well, that can't happen. And Peter's like, no, you can't die. And he's like, listen, if I don't die, you have no hope at all. You know, and he even looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, because anything that keeps me from dying you know, is coming from the enemy himself because that's the only way that you can have a relationship with me. That's your only hope for being forgiven. So that's before he dies. And then after he dies, he makes himself known. He restores Peter over fish for breakfast beside, you know, on, on the beach one morning, which is a great exchange. And then he says, you know, um, I'm, I'm leaving. And he, and he says, but before I do, and he gives us this great commission. And he says, go make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's like, I'm with you. I'm going to stay with you the whole time because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back and he's going to stay with you. So I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come back to you. But your objective from this point forward, once I ascend, is to go make disciples. That's what Camp Redstone said a few moments ago. We are a church of disciples making disciples. That is what multiplication is. Okay? And this is where we struggle as a church. I'm not saying that it's easy. But it's the last thing Jesus says before he ascends into heaven is to go make disciples. If we are truly Jesus' followers, we must learn to make an attempt to do so, which takes us back to Redstone Church, which takes us to the table and all of these things that I'm trying to say to you. We want to equip you so that you can go make disciples. And I'm telling you this, people, you can do it. It's not you. It's Christ within you. The risen Christ has come to reside in you, and he will give you the power and the words to say to people to point them to him. I've seen it over and over and over, but you have to be willing. So we want to help you with that. So multiplication is going to be about teaching you how. Now, if you'll notice on the table, don't just put community, well, worship, community, service, multiplication. What goes before that? You see it? Same thing. Gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. Now, we'll spend more time unpacking this later, but let me just kind of briefly explain what I mean. Okay, let's say, let's just hit worship and maybe community. Okay, so what might non-gospel-centered worship look like? So think about things like singing, think about things like reading your Bible, you know, praying, and so on. 
If it's not gospel-centered, what might it look like? Okay, focus on the people up front. Okay? I'm going to give you a stupid example. I shouldn't say the word stupid. Kids, please forgive me for that. Golly, parents, you need to get a new pastor because I want to say things like that sometimes. Okay, so yesterday I'm downtown Elizabethan, and um, I saw someone that's in this congregation this morning, and they were like, hey, what are you doing? And, I was, and this is true. And I said, yeah, I'm actually on my, on my prayer walk around the town right now. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. And then they, you know, that conversation was over with. And I'm like, why didn't I just say I'm going for a walk? Why did I have to say that I'm on a prayer walk? And I was just quickly reminded of what Jesus says in the Scripture. Don't let your acts of righteousness be seen before men, because when you do so, your reward is when they say, oh, oh, my pastor's on a prayer walk. <laughs> and I felt like an idiot, and I confessed it to the Lord. But that's what non-gospel-centered worship looks like when you're doing it because you want people to see you, or you do it because you're supposed to. Or you read because, ah, I'm supposed to read the Bible. That's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. That's not gospel-centered. Do you see that? That antithesis, it's the, the exact opposite of the purpose for it? Well, we're going to talk about that. So let's just say community. What would a non-gospel-centered community look like? There's no right or wrong answers here. We're just delving into this as an introduction. So what do you think? Non-gospel-centered community. Okay, let me do this. I'll help you. Let me explain gospel-centered community, and then you can think just the opposite. So if with a gospel-centered community, if Doug, this is Doug Middall, by the way. I'm sorry, you're smiling, side. you caught my eye. So if you don't know Doug and Connie and Dave, you got, got to get to know them. I love these people. So if Doug is in sin, and I know he's in sin, if I'm applying the gospel and he's in community with me, I actually have to go to him. Okay, Or if he's making bad decisions in his life, I have to be willing to do that. Or if he hurts me, remember this, leave your gift at the altar and go to him. I have to be willing to go to him. So gospel-centered community is you're willing to have the hard conversations with the people for the sake of the gospel and Jesus being formed in them. And, and you have to be open to them coming to you as well. Okay? Your gospel-centered community, we don't just come and gather around the table and just talk sports. We don't just talk about politics, God forbid. Um, there's purpose. We're spurring one another on. And, and Hebrew says that we encourage each other every day as long as it's called today. So why are we doing that? Because we need encouragement. So, and I can give you other examples. So gospel-centered community has purpose, and it has direct conversations, and it has love as its motivator, we carry one another's burdens. So the darlings are struggling, and they're having a hard time, and they're in a ditch, okay? We weep with them when they weep, but we rejoice with them when they rejoice, and we carry their burdens, and in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, okay? It's giving. It's not just self-centered. Okay, so having said all of that, just as introduction. So what might the opposite of that look like? Lack of accountability. Thank you, Evan. Boom. You nailed it. That's one of the, the biggest ones. There's no accountability at all. It's like, ah, eh, that's their life, that's their decisions. Who am I to help them out? I mean, I've got my own struggles. No, because when we're applying the gospel to our own hearts, then we want to see someone else walk in freedom. We're willing to hold them accountable and also to be held accountable. You know, and I was having this conversation with someone else a couple weeks ago. Like, we need more elders in this church. We don't need two elders. We need more elders. You know, we need more people that are able to oversee and shepherd you guys. And it would be easier for me to not have hardly any other elders because that way I can just kind of, you know, be Jerry right? I need accountability in my life too. I need elders that will hold me accountable and will speak the truth and love to me when I need to hear it. And I will need to hear it. Some elder will say, Jerry, you can't say stupid on Sunday mornings. And I need to be willing to listen to that, right? Um, so, you know, what else? No accountability. What else might the antithesis or the opposite of gospel-centered community look like? Superficial relationships. We love each other. We have fun together. But really, there's no substance to it. 
Okay, you get where we're going? This is what we're going to talk about for the next 12 weeks. This is an introduction to the table, and it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also going to be equipping to you. I'm getting ready to close this out. This is not a normal preaching. We're not going to have a time of like sharing, but does anyone have any pushback or questions before we close? Because then we're going, to, we're going to spend a few minutes worshiping together. Yes, so worship, she, for those that can't hear online, so she's asking the question, is fasting going to be a part of that? We're going to try to cover all of those things, which is hard, but hopefully it'll be things like um, the Word of God in prayer, because it's really about relationship. Remember, the glory of the gospel is not just the fact, and I've said this like three times in the past four weeks, it's not just the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that we have eternal life, it's the fact that we can have a relationship with Him. Right, And that relationship is worked out in things like our time in the Word of God and our uh, prayer time. And sometimes that's when we spend time fasting to be able to better hear from Him. Or it's in our silence and our solitude or our journaling or reflection, all of those kinds of things. It's Psalm 19, which I hope we preach in a couple of weeks, when you can go out and watch the sun go down and just give glory to God. It's all of those things. So yes, Michelle, I hope that it's all-encompassing. Anything else? Are you excited? Can you tell I am? All right. Let's close in prayer. And then worship team, if you guys can come back, as we're doing our introduction and we're starting worship next week, here's all I ask that you do this morning. Okay? As we sing these last two songs, just block out everybody else. And it may be the first time that you've done so today, but actually worship Him. Just worship Him. Pay attention to the words. Let's give glory to God and let's say, Lord, as a way of introduction, we really want to worship You in this moment. Father, I thank You for this church. We're so young, Lord, but I love them. I love the interaction. I love the eye contact and the smiles and the rolling of eyes and all of these things I get when I see them. I feel that you're already starting to, to, to establish us as a true community. But Lord, we've got so much room to grow. We don't fully understand what it means to be a worshiping or a praying church. God challenge us over these next uh, 12 weeks. And if we do nothing else when we come together, Lord, at a minimum, we should worship. Forgive us when we don't and teach us how. Beginning right now. In Christ's name I pray, amen.